welcome back to the Soldiers of Hell. Hello, yes, an- another week, another episode. We had sad passings in the last month, haven't we? We have. I mean, for a lot of people, 2016 was a year that pretty much is known as the reaping. But for me, the last month has probably been the biggest blow in terms of celebrity deaths and the one that prompted my wife to message me out of the blue just to make sure I was okay. So, poor old Rog has left us. Nobody does it better than Roger. At least that's what you think. <laughs> that's, for me, and indeed, um, oh, you know, M- Mrs. Vane. We, um, Carly Simon, Carly that's Simon, that's it, yeah. Mrs. Of course, uh, not to be no, confused with Culture Beat. Um, Roger Moore. Stan, Mr. Vane. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, yeah, for me, he is the best Bond, the the quintessential what Bond should be. Um, so I'm not going to get into a debate about that because we left. No, I don't think that's that's not the focus. 1999, didn't we? Really, we kind of we, yes, we agreed to disagree, and and our friendship has lasted as a result. Um, yeah, a, a rare example of that sort of thing managing through that particular storm. <laughs> but despite uh, disagreements around who does it better. I will always have a soft spot for Roger. He's the best light touch bond that there's been. And I would argue that we're ready for a new light touch Roger. I think we've, we've touched upon this in the past somewhat. And the alternation between a harder edge and a lighter touch is becomes more apparent. Once, in retrospect, you start to think that Pierce Brosnan, I think, fits more closely alongside Roger Moore's style, yep. the more time I have to reflect on it. And I think, yeah, now we've had the, the harder edge of the last few with Daniel Craig, I think we need to go back a little bit, especially since the whole genre of it seems to be moving back a little bit, inch by inch, to that classic male M in the leather-doored office with a money penny. It's time for a bit of a one-liner returning. Just whilst we're on the subject of light touch, Yes. In the same month as Roger left us, the light touch Batman left us. Adam West. Yeah, the lightest of all touch Batman. And I think both of them together have made me realise that sometimes you can just, it can be too dark and, and, and they've left a legacy, both of them, in terms of those characters have had so much critical acclaim when they've been pushed to the dark, darker end of that character spectrum. But Actually, the legacy comes from those that, that do it in the, in the, in the more yeah. comedic tone. So. And, in, and in many ways, until Christian Bale came along, Adam West, for many, was the definitive Batman, regardless of whether you think, you know, Michael Keaton or George Clooney was best. I mean, it's all, those debates will rage on. But because, <laughs> I, because, they, because they each only put in such a short tenure, you know, a one film... He, it's like saying that each of them is almost the Batman franchise after Adam West was only George Lazenby's because of the shortness of each one's stint. So yeah. he was the one for many generations that had the overarching appeal. Yes. And, and you know, looking back, I think a lot of the criticism lodged at Adam West's Batman was always oh, over campy and it's, you know, it's not taken seriously. I think it knew it wasn't taking itself seriously and that is where Looking at it back with those fresh eyes, once you realise that, you realise, actually, it knew exactly what it was, and that was its genius. Yes. I mean, the, in the movie, the shark repellent spray that you got on your belt, or the, the scene where he's holding a bomb 
and he's yeah. running away trying to find somewhere to get rid of it and people keep getting in his way like a gaggle of nuns like something out of modern python and, but it was intentional yeah. it was meant to be like that but people I mean, who have liked the darker ones have kind of gone you know oh it's silly it's too silly but no it was meant to be funny even down to the point where they've put in the line on purpose some days you just can't get rid of a bomb it's brilliant writing and with both of them I think it's, it's more than who they were on screen. It's the weight of their characters and personality. They both seem to sort of have an inner goodness that went beyond what you thought of them as an actor. I mean, Roger Moore, whenever you saw him, even in his latter years when he looked like a waxwork of Roger Moore, it's <laughs> there's just you looked at him and you thought, you know what, there's a proper gent. Just a warmth get, that came through. You'd expect a lot of movie stars of his era to sort of, as they reach a certain age, just want to sit back, not really take things too seriously, indulge themselves in the lifestyle they've accumulated. But, you know, he he was a spokesman for so many good causes for so long, probably working harder than he ever did in the films. A lot of people just want to go to America, refuse to appear in an Indiana Jones film, accept your knighthood, but not live in... Oh, yes, I'm looking at you, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) actually another thing that ties the two together i only found out recently after sean connery left the role adam west was one of the people considered for bond really yeah other than batman and his stent as himself as mayor adam west in family guy which I think is a brilliant role and a brave one for him to probably have taken on at first before he realised the sort of general good feeling people had towards him. I've not really seen much of his other stuff, so I honestly can't say what he's like as a non-comic actor. Have you seen the new cartoon that, well, I knew it came out towards the end of last year, so it's it's the original sort of uh, 60s Batman continuation as a cartoon and it's got Adam West, Burt Ward and Julie Newmar doing the voices of the characters. I've not seen it, but I've heard about it. It's and from it. what I've heard, it's really good. It's very, very funny. It, it's almost, Yeah, it's laugh-out-loud funny at times because it ups the ante on those jokes as well. It kind of it knows that it can take them even further because it's a cartoon and it sort of plays on those Family Guy elements as well. Yeah. I'd heard that they were making a sequel, and then apparently Adam West did manage to record the voice parts for it before he died. So that will be his final piece of work. And I think that's that's beautifully fitting that his the role he's best known for is the last role that he's done as well, rather than some B-list, forgotten, done it because I need the paycheck sort of thing. They've also cast William Shatner in it as well. He's going to be the bad guy. I'm not sure what character he's playing, but William Shatner oh, right, okay. versus Adam West. <laughs> There's a, a tag team to be feared. I saw um, Adam West probably, I think it was just before Christmas, on through the keyhole, and it was it was quite funny to see such a sort of veteran actor interacting with you know Keith Lemon, who's you know worlds away in terms of their comedic styles. Yeah. But he just took it on the chin, got on with it, and like I just had a real good time with it and. I think there's a there's a respect I have for that sort of approach to things. I cannot believe 
that in the wake of Roger Moore's passing, there weren't more names is for tombstones, baby, memes from his live and let die appearance. Yes. Because it's, you know, in fact, that was my response. When, um, <laughs> when my wife messaged me to ask if I was okay, and then my sister-in-law independently messaged me to ask if I was feeling okay, that's what I responded back to her. I sent her that clip. If you had to choose one thing that stands out your more, what would it be? The the obvious one is the eyebrow. Yes. But I don't, for me, when I think of Roger Moore, I always think of quite revealing from from Live and Let Die. That, for me, I think, was the moment where it became apparent this is a different sort of bond. I mean, how many of those lines did he have? Apparently, he, I mean, he was in the most movies. So it makes sense yeah. that he bedded the most women and he killed the most bad guys. But still, I'm sure his quota as a ratio is far greater than anyone else's. Oh, it must be. Absolutely. But not only just the quota of the comments, but just like when you think of the sort of um, the sort of things that Austin Powers parodied. Yeah. Now, it was set in the, the, you know, they go back to the 60s. But, oh, yeah, okay. Um, is it You Only Live Twice has got the, the volcano lair? But I think it's the Roger Moore era that takes the dastardly guy taking over the world with a lair and an outrageous plan to its nth degree and perfects it with the guy who wants to live under the sea and the guy who wants to start a space colony. And that's, they, they are the biggest crazy Bond villains, I think. That sort of thing. Max Zorin, I've got a blimp with a chair that goes out of the blimp, which is almost identical to the Doctor Evil chair down to the pit of sharks or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so I think a lot of what you think of as definitive Bond actually comes from the Roger Moore era. And going back to Pierce Brosnan and how he is the lighter touch Bond that we've had in more recent memory, you wouldn't have had lines like, I thought Christmas only came once a year if it wasn't for Roger. You almost imagine Roger delivering that line, don't you? Yeah. Rather than Pierce. And it's so similar to the keeping the British end up. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. And I also, I mean, I think, yeah, the Sean Connery era ushered in probably what is the quintessential Bond theme. But it's very, you know, it's very brassy. They're very, not samey to an extent. Even you've got Shirley Bassey, uh, Tom Jones. You've got a lot of Welsh people and brass. <laughs> brassy Welsh people. <laughs> you've got Bassey, David Welsh. One of my favourite episodes of, uh, oh, what was it called? Rock Profile. That was it, Rock Profile. Yeah, one of my favourite. That wasn't that Elvis. the best one, isn't it? It is, yeah. The diamonds, they are forever! Every single one. What did you think of Adele? Well, she didn't have the range, dear. She didn't have the range. <laughs> the point I suppose I was going on to is that, yes, you've got a good, solid bunch of Sean Connery-era Bond songs, but then I think the variety of Bond songs you have for the Roger Moore era, you immediately start with Live and Let Die, which sets a completely different tone, but still somehow manages to retain that quintessential Bondness. 
And then you move straight from that to, you know, nobody does it better, which is just a woman and a piano. It's, it's such a massive range, but all equally as good, I think. Well, you say equally as good. I, th- I think when it drifts into sort of... Like all right, Moonraker, fair enough. Moonraker's pretty poor. Uh, you're right, yeah. only a bit done. But they end, they end on a couple of bangers. I mean, you know, you to a kill. Ending? Book ending with you to a kill and live and let die. And also the fact you've got bands as you know far apart as Wings and Duran Duran. Yes. It just that alone indicates the longevity of Roger Moore's tenure. One of the moments that sticks most in my mind is when he uses a magnetic setting on his watch to unzip a woman's dress, but his hand, his, his watch hand, is like a thumb's length away from the zip. Yeah. I that's, in that. that's technology for the sake of technology's sake, isn't it? <laughs> that's like texting someone's up next to you. <laughs> yeah. Which it's, and, he's the, and he's not as though he's doing it to conceal who it is as undoing his dress because <laughs> he's the only one in the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it was some other guy outside with an extra powerful magnet. With a really, yeah. Oh, my watch is turned off, dear. I, I never turn my magnetic watch on at home. I wouldn't, I wouldn't treat you that way. <laughs> <laughs> He's got such an an appeal beyond Bond as well. He's one of the few people I think that you know he did all the things. I mean, there's the wild geese and there's what is it, the sea wolves? What are is you this, doing? Are you opening a can of beer? No. I'm trying to. It's a it's a it's a, it's a bottle. <laughs> I couldn't tell. It was so obvious that you were trying to do something at the other end. I could hear the movement louder than you. I'm thinking, what? Okay, what's that? I'm having an orangina. You splash out. No. You yeah. shake. No, it's um, always yeah. It's no. I prefer I prefer to just drink it all in one go and jump up and down. <laughs> Have you seen the wild geese? That's the one where it's like a collection of grizzled veteran, sort of tough guy actors. Really, I think there's there's Roger Moore. Um, oh God, the first Dumbledore, Richard Harris. Oh yeah. I think Richard Burton might be in it as well. So it's just, you can imagine what the nights when they weren't shooting would have been like. Yeah. And see, they they play like this sort of group of mercenaries sent into, I think it's Africa, to rescue some dignitary during a coup. But it's, you know, it's the sort of thing that he did well. And again, the Sea Wolves is, I think, is one where there's like, he's got this ridiculous beard that I think only he could carry off. And there's like a bomb plot to take over a North Sea oil drilling station and he happens to be an expert in sea-based explosives. So he's clearly, you know, Rog, come on, mate, we need you. Yeah, not think many missteps, really. So what's your favourite uh, Adam West moment? There's an episode of Family Guy and it's probably one of the first ones where he's met Adam West and he, he misspells his own name but then comes to believe that his name is like Adam Wee or something. And he's just like, he has a moment where he's like crushing a cup going, no one gets the better of Adam Wee. And it's just really, the whole thing is ridiculous. It's either that or some days you can't get rid of a bomb. It's one of those two. Going back to the wild geese thing, it reminds me a little bit. It's almost like a, it's like an early, it's like the Expendables, isn't it? It's get, I suppose it is really. load of famous people together to go and do some kind of undercover operation or put a bit of a dream team together and it reminds me of I think it might have been you that told me about Roger Moore was the instigator of trying to do a film where 
all the retired Bonds live together in a retirement home. So he was trying to... Yes, get, uh, yes. I think it was you that told me about it, but I would have loved to see that. I suppose Timothy Dalton is probably not quite old enough to need a retirement home. But I suppose him and Pierce Brosnan could have played like a couple of nurses or something, or orderlies. What do you reckon, Tim? Is late 60s? He must be. Yeah. yeah. Pierce, early 60s now? Something like that? I don't know. I wonder if it's one of the weird things where one's actually younger than the other. It's just you don't believe it. Pierce is definitely younger because he was meant to be Bond when Tim got the gig, wasn't he? But he was contracted to Remington Steel. Yeah, but when you look at the pictures of him at Remington Steel, you go, oh, no, you would have been far too young. Uh, yeah, I think to be Bond, you need to have a little bit of a, a sort of gravitas, a sort of a weathered look. Not necessarily old, but enough of a sort of furrowing of the brow to be able to convey, I've got a bit of experience. So with the exception of Lazenby, every Bond that's come since Sean, as I understand it, was meant to be previous Bond but worked in other words Roger was offered the gig but couldn't do it because of the same I think Tim was going to do it when they eventually got Roger and then Tim got it when I've just checked Timothy Dalton is 71 I think he doesn't look it does he no oh, she's playing bad guys in recent memory so the, he was um, in Doctor Who wasn't he and he was also in Hot Fuzz I mean, how old is Hot Fuzz now Hot Fuzz must be 10 years old and, and when you look at him in Hot Fuzz, you don't think that's a 61-year-old. Yeah. The other thing is, of course, he was the main lead in um, Penny Dreadful. Oh, of course. I haven't the seen three, that. Which, um, which the, the main female character in it is, of course, Eva Green. Another one. Uh, there is a moment, spoiler alert here for those of you who don't want to know, there's a moment in the first series where it, it's not actually Timothy Dalton's character, but an evil spirit taking on the presence of Timothy Dalton. But in, in practice, it is Timothy Dalton, having, obviously having to play that particular little bit, has sex with Eva Green. So that's like she's clocked up two bonds there. Oh, I wonder if anyone else is that, that. Is that a record? It must be. There was one actress that clocked up Roger twice playing different characters. Oh, yes. She was uh, Octopussy, but also um, in one of the other films earlier on. She's the, she's the love interest in The Man With Golden Gun. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? There's enough yeah. different people in the world. There's enough actresses. It's Maud Adams. Ledgering. This is it. It's the future. Live ledger. You haven't got access to the internet. Tune in. I don't want to look up that fact that I don't know. What I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to two guys talk, hope that they forget the fact as well, and look it up for me. So That's what the public are thinking. I've purposefully stayed clear of parody, of, of getting too much into the detail of what happened in Abuse and Kill. Because there is a recommendation I'm going to make. There's a, a really popular American podcast called How Did They Get This Made? And every episode, they discuss the movie. There's usually two or three comedians that have had to watch the movie in advance of the recording. And then for the space of an hour or whatever, they discuss the, um, the movie in, in front of a live audience. And they're usually pretty... Not obscure stuff, but things that you would go, yep, that's definitely a bad film. They parody stuff, and they get into the, the nitty-gritty. But the best one I've heard is where they discuss a view to a kill, and they absolutely rip it apart. But they have two guests on 
who run a James Bond podcast. And it's brilliant because every time they make fun of something, the James Bond people go, I don't know why you find that amusing. That's 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 one of one of the reasons you've given for it being a bad film. It's the reason why I think it is a brilliant film. And it just goes <laughs> on like that. I find that as I get older, I probably, not to the same degree, but suffer the same thing. It's like, I'll, I'll watch a film, I'll enjoy it, but one little thing will bug me. And I'll think about it, and that leads me on to think about and that impacted this. And I, it's like once I start pulling at those little threads, it's, I'll have a whole conversation about how much I didn't enjoy bits of a film that I actually really enjoyed. Yeah. And it's quite easy to do. And I think one of the most one of the most recent ones that happened was um, uh, Force Awakens, where I, I really enjoyed it and I, and I I genuinely sat there and loved watching it. But then afterwards, all I could talk about was instead of saying to people, "Hi, I really enjoyed that," I would say it was just a rehash of Episode Four, almost scene by scene. Yeah. And I didn't like this little bit, and I didn't like that little bit, but. And I just find that that's what I've naturally talked about, and I dissected those little niggles to the nth degree, rather than going, Do you know what? I really enjoyed all that. I tend to find I have an initial enthusiasm for most films that I've looked forward to, but over time that can diminish, and it doesn't have to be the best film for me to get pleasure from rewatches. And I think A View to Achilles is an example of that. There is nothing in that movie that makes sense. There is nothing in that movie that if you were starting to write a Bond film from scratch, if you weren't painting by numbers, even so, you can criticise the film all you like. It's just a pure entertainment because it's stupid. Yeah. So in terms of tying all these uh, threads together, I think what I would like to see is a voice actor who could do a strong Roger Moore impression, keeping the Roger Moore 007 mantle going by having cartoon bonding with the Roger Moore likeness bond in the style of these new Batman ones. Do you know what? I, th- I think that would work as well because once it's in a cartoon format, you're instantly more likely to believe these massively ridiculous situations anyway. And, and I think that's the yeah that's the success of those Batman ones that you you instant there's an extra layer of disbelief because it's a cartoon so to have a Roger Moore one would be would be brilliant. There we go, campaign right there. Yeah, I think in the few days after Roger Moore died, um, a local cinema put on a, a joint feature of I think the Man with the Golden Gun and Spy Who Loved Me, and unfortunately I was busy and I couldn't go. And, and I just thought, you know what, I, I wish I could have gone and watched a Roger Moore film on the big screen as it was originally intended, because that would have been brilliant and something that just I'm very, I'm not massively likely to ever have the opportunity to do again. Maybe that should be the subject of our next podcast then. Films that we would like to see on the big screen. Yeah, that sounds like an excellent idea. 